0: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
1: Welcome to the Road to wire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, September 28th. Happy 41st birthday to three-time first-team All-Mac performer and the Mid-American Conference's career scoring leader, Bonzi Wells. Nick Whalen here. I'm excited to be joined by a guest today. He is Harrison Wind, Nuggets writer for BSN Denver. Harrison's been doing great work covering the Nuggets, for the last few years, and he was generous enough to drop by to talk about what should be one of the most improved teams in the Western Conference. It was a fun time. I think you'll enjoy it. Let's get to Harrison. All right, I am pleased to be joined by Harrison Wind, Nuggets beat writer for BSN Denver. Harrison, uh, DJ and I had you on the pod around this time last year. Uh, really enjoyed your insight on the Denver Nuggets and appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to join me yeah
2: sure nick no problem
1: at all so this will be your third season i believe covering the denver nuggets is that right
2: yep that's correct third year
1: okay so i mean have you noticed now like this type of job you know being a beat writer is it easier now than it was last year or than it was when you first started like how much does adding an extra year of experience help in a job like this Well,
2: it it certainly helps. Uh, Definitely, the first year and even the second year, you're you're kind of getting your legs under you. Still, kind of just learn the tricks of the trade. And but now, I mean, now it's my third season. I know what to expect. Um, I'm in more of a rhythm now, and uh, just just ready to get going. Just ready to get into a routine. Uh, And you know, it's training camp, so I know it's going to be a grind for you know, really the next, uh, six months or so. So it's a good feeling to, to get into it for sure.
1: Yeah. Have you been able to build, you know, more of a relationship with Mike Malone, who's going into his third season as well. And then with some of the guys, you know, Darrell Arthur, Jameer Nelson, and even, even Jokic, you know, guys who have been here now two, three years.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, and Michael Malone, just a coach that he's really easy to get to know. Uh, he, he's the first, head coach i've covered like on a full-time basis and uh, he's got to be one of just the easiest guys to talk to and and get along with and and build a relationship with because you know when you're not talking with him on the record especially he's just a regular guy you know he's just a regular guy who likes to talk about basketball and life and there's a lot of those guys uh on this team so it's been a good process for sure
1: yeah, I mean, that's what I've heard. I, I haven't spent a ton of time around Mike Malone personally, but I was watching some video the other day. I think it was actually earlier today. Um, and, you know, there was a post-practice media scrum, and he he actually went out of his way. I couldn't tell who he was shushing, but he shushed whether it was players or people talking in the hallway so he could focus on, you know, talking to reporters. And I think there's not that many coaches, uh, no matter what sport you're covering, um, you know, who are who are that kind of – you know, friendly, I guess, toward the media on a day-to-day basis. I mean, is that really the the impression that I got from that video? Is that who Mike Malone is?
2: No, it really is And Yeah, that was this morning, Wednesday morning. And, like, everything he does in those situations, it's, like, half serious but also, like, half joking. So there's, like, definitely a bit of sarcasm to that. But, yeah, right. that was pretty funny when that happened this morning.
1: So I actually listened back to the part of the podcast uh, from last year, and one of the questions – that I asked you was who is the best player on the Nuggets roster? And again, this was, I think, early October uh, of 2016. So at that point, you know, we really didn't know uh, who Nikola Jokic was or the type of player uh, that he was. And your answer pretty quickly was Danilo Gallinari. So at the time, I right. was correct. Uh, obviously, Gallo is in LA now. But I think if I were to ask you that same question, you know, certainly now or even a month or two into last season, your answer would have been. Ah, uh, quite a bit different. So, like, how has the rapid emergence of Jokic really changed the overall direction of this franchise?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty unbelievable because I'm, I'm sure when we recorded this podcast, we weren't even sure what uh, the starting lineup was going to be at the beginning of last season, and then they had uh, they started things off with Nurkic and Jokic together, and and that just didn't work out at all, and then. Yeah, once they went with Jokic alone, just his rise really took off. And that wasn't even over a full uh, NBA season. But, but what we've seen with the Nuggets and just the rise of Jokic is just their entire style that, that they play on offense and just that free-flowing style with tons of ball movement, tons of off-ball action, you know, tons of guys cutting and just a real team-oriented style of play. That all stems from Jokic. That that stems from how high of an IQ player he is on offense, how much he loves to pass, how he doesn't really care uh, about his stats. And the biggest thing is that's just rubbed off on everybody. I remember early last year, Gary Harris was really the first guy to notice it. Like, hey, if I just pass this guy and then cut to the hoop, like I'm going to get a wide open layup. So he was the first person to notice that. And it was cool seeing it rub off on every other guy. You know, from Jameer Nelson to Wilson Chandler uh, to Kenneth Freed, and then even guys like Gallinari, who you know really loves to get his on the offensive end on his own. He finally realized it over the second half of last season. So it was awesome to watch Jokic's rise individually. But what was even cooler was just seeing the whole team embrace it. You know, and now that's how you know this team. You know them as kind of a free-flowing offensive team where everybody loves to touch the ball and everybody gets involved so so that was really the coolest part of his rise just watching it rub off on everybody else
1: yeah i mean like you mentioned it took a little bit for people to realize and even i think for the nuggets you know to realize what they had in Jokic. um you know he was he was in he started he was in the starting lineup to begin the year he was out of the starting lineup for most of november um and then things really took off you know in mid-december when he when he was reinserted into the lineup but You know, as someone who was around the team in training camp and early in the season, did you kind of know it was there and they just hadn't unleashed it in games yet? Or was there a point where, whether it was Mike Malone or someone else on the staff said, you know, we need to funnel everything through this guy?
2: Yeah, there was a point they went on a road trip uh, in early December. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it was a six game road trip. And they really played poorly on, on that road trip. And they came back home. And they got Gary Harris healthy, uh, and, and then they just needed to make a change because the season was going down the drain, like, really quickly over that first third of the season. And you could tell it was there with Jokic, uh, but, but I think part of it was they knew if they were going to go to Jokic alone in that starting lineup, you were probably going to say goodbye to uh, Yusef Nurkic because it was pretty apparent that you know he was going to be unhappy in a backup role uh, behind Jokic, and and that's pretty much what happened. So I think part of it was they really didn't want to lose Nurkic mentally, uh, and they were tr- trying to keep both of them going for really as long as they could. But it just got to a point where they had to start winning games. They had to start trying something different. So they, they just kind of pushed all their cards to uh, into the center of the table with Jokic, and kind of ran with it, and I think it was ultimately ultimately the right decision. But for a while, they just they didn't want to lose Nurkic, uh, if that makes sense. And they just kind of had to bite the bullet uh, on that front after a while.
1: Right. I mean, it's interesting just how you know the perception, I guess, or you know, just the future of that franchise changed. You know, with with the emergence of Jokic, like we said originally. I mean, this was a team that was trying to sign Dwayne Wade last summer, and you right. know, before that, it was just. It was one of those teams, and there's so many of them around the league. Um, you know, a Miami type of team, a Detroit type of team, you know, even, even Indiana in, in some ways. These teams that have a lot of really good players, but no great players. And when one of your really good players goes from, from that to great, um, you know, things can change pretty rapidly. So, uh, certainly a more positive outlook this time, uh, this year, than last year for the Denver Nuggets. Um, but I want to talk quickly about Gallinari. Technically, he was traded to the Clippers, um, but it was a sign-and-trade, essentially went there as a free agent. I think the Nuggets took back a, a nominal second-round pick to to complete the deal, but was it just time for Denver to move on from Gallinari? Um, you know, what was kind of the feeling on both sides of that decision?
2: Yeah, it, it was time. You know, he had been here for a while since that Carmel-Anthony trade, and, you know, he he he's done a lot for the nuggets organization and i and just in terms of kind of you know those 50 win teams they had with him and the playoff appearance appearances he really led them to so i think that was part of the decision in in wanting to you know help him out and facilitate that trade to the clippers because you know, he he had done for a, a lot for the nuggets and they they wouldn't be the team they are and how they're perceived throughout the league uh, if it wasn't for him but it was time to move on because you know they really wanted to move in a direction where everything is centered around Jokic, and you know Gallinari was the number one option for this team, you know for the past three four years, and it was kind of tough for him to give up that mantle and let Jokic kind of take over. So I think in that respect, it was just kind of time to to move on from him, and I think he wanted to move on. Uh, from the Nuggets as well. And and Denver just kind of wanted to really get behind Jokic and and just really build their team around him and find some more complementary pieces that fit around him better. And You need – one thing you're going to need around Jokic and one thing the Nuggets are still looking to get around him is really good perimeter defense. And Gallinari has been solid on defense at times throughout his career. He wasn't great on defense last year, and I think the Nuggets just want to move into a direction of – establishing Jokic with players that really fit his style and I kind of think moving on from Gallinari was a step in that direction
1: yeah I mean for the most part this roster with the exception of Gallinari leaving and a few more you know minor pieces uh leaving in the offseason it's mostly the same at the core uh of course they added Paul Millsap um but Uh, What's your feel for the Kenneth Reed situation right now? Um, He he seems to, he's been vocal that he believes he's a starter. And I think there are probably a lot of teams out there that believe he is a starter. But when you bring in, you know, a perennial all-star in Atlanta uh, in Paul Millsap, there's really not much of a chance that you're going to bring Paul Millsap off the bench behind someone like Kenneth Reed. So, I mean, is this a situation where Kenneth Reed is essentially asking for a trade without you know, saying the words, I want to be traded.
2: I mean, that's certainly what it seems like. It seems like he said everything at media day, like that he wants to trade, except those actual words, I want to be traded. Looking at the power forward situation, it's probably the most confusing aspect of the Nuggets roster. Paul Millsap is obviously penciled in as a starter. Um, They just paid Mason Plumlee a lot of money. I'm sure they're going to want to play him like alongside Jokic in some lineups as well. And so there's just not a ton of minutes for Kenneth Freed. He already played the least amount of minutes last year that he's played in his entire career. He played less minutes last year than he played his rookie year in Denver. And they've also got guys like Wilson Chandler, Juancho, and Gomez who play the four as well and who play the four really effectively. And so I, I agree with Kenneth in the aspect that you know, there's not a ton of minutes available for him. And the the fact of the matter is he's actually coming off a pretty productive year. I thought last year, he defensively, it was the best he's looked in quite some time in Denver. But, yeah, the minutes aren't there for him. And I'm sure the Nuggets have have poked around and tried to trade him. You know, his name has been brought up in rumors for the better part of two years. But it, it doesn't seem like there's much interest for him. Uh, around the league. So, I'm uh, not sure how that situation w- works itself out. I would not be the least bit surprised, you know, if he's elsewhere, you know, maybe by the start of the regular season, but we'll see. It just doesn't seem like there's a big role for him next year in Denver.
1: So, you wrote on BSN Denver uh, about day 1 of training camp on Tuesday, and, and apparently Mike Malone dedicated the entire session to defense. How much is that going to be a focus this year after the Nuggets struggled on that side of the ball last season? I, b- I believe they were the worst defensive team in the NBA by the end of the year. Is that right? Yeah.
2: So they were they were ranked 29th in defensive rating last year. I think like 0.1 points per uh, 100 better than the Lakers. So pretty much the worst team in Ugh, the league. Yeah. And uh, yeah, th- that's been the focus at training camp so far. I think that's going to be the focus you know, during the entirety of the preseason uh, and the regular season as well. Look, they have to be better on defense uh, if they want to make the playoffs. And there's been a lot of talk about a more aggressive scheme, you know, hedging pick and rolls more, blitzing, switching, just being more aggressive uh, in in their entire you know defensive philosophy. And I think a lot of that starts with Millsap. you know this is a quiet team. This isn't a really vocal team on the defensive end on the floor. So they're relying on Millsap. You know, he's going to fit in on offense. Great. He fits the Nuggets identity on that end of the floor. But the Nuggets are really hoping his main impact comes on the defensive end of the floor. You know, kind of being that conductor, that quarterback of the defense. And uh, I, I think how good they are on defense this year. And look, they have good defenders on the roster. Like Gary Harris is a good defender. Wilson Chandler is a good defender. I think Jamal Murray can be a good defender from the point guard position, but their success this year, I think, is really going to hinge on if they can claw their way into the upper twenties in defensive rating. And you know, I think they can. Uh, We'll we'll see if this new aggressive style on defense leads them to that. It's definitely going to be the main storyline this year. I think.
1: Yeah. So, like you said, they want to be more aggressive. You did a great job in that article that I referenced earlier of, of of showing a handful of examples um you know of of especially how they use Jokic defensively last season how how he was used in pick and roll situations what's going to be different this year like what has to change uh for Jokic specifically to turn him from you know a a defensive liability into not a great defender but just someone who's not getting exposed on that end of the court
2: right well from what Malone said and what I kind of wrote there like they're gonna bring him up in and pick and rolls and and try to hedge with him and stuff and so I mean the worry is you know him just getting beat and and guards really going at him and also him getting into foul trouble because that was a problem last season as well him committing a lot of stupid fouls and getting into foul trouble so he's gonna need to have more self-control over that and he's also lost you know about 10 to 15 pounds this summer so hopefully he's you know a little quicker uh you know just kind of more fleet of foot and and is better on defense in that way but we're really gonna have to wait till uh we see a couple preseason games to to kind of see him in action
1: so have you had a chance to get to know paul Millsap yet
2: talk to him uh both days at practice so far so I, I guess as much as i could to this point
1: right yeah i mean he's one of the quieter guys you're gonna find especially in terms of that level of a player but i mean at this point in the year can you really tell i like, guess the adjustment gone fairly smoothly from from what you can tell obviously it's not like he was traded there you know he he chose to sign in denver so you would think uh, that he at least has an inkling of, of what he's walking into
2: definitely and it seems like he's enjoying it so far a big reason why he wants to come to Denver was because he really believes in the talent on this team. And also because he sees a lot of his old Atlanta Hawks teams in this Nuggets team, just how they play on offense. And uh, that was an attractive, an attractive selling point to him. You know, he can play a similar, similar role in this offense uh, than he did. in kind of those 60 win Atlanta teams, so he really believes in the talent, he really believes in the philosophy and he also is kind of embracing that leadership role, especially on the defensive end of the floor of this team. You know, they got a couple lead by example guys and Millsaps definitely that, but you know, they're going to count on him to be that kind of vocal leader and I think that's a role he's embracing at least in the early going from what I've been hearing.
1: So, from talking to players, coaches, people around the organization, what are the actual expectations for this season? I mean, Vegas has, has the, the over under at 45.5 wins. Last year, that would have meant the seventh seed in the Western Conference. You know, obviously, some of the better teams in the West uh, beefed up their rosters over the summer. But, I mean, does the addition of Millsap mean that missing the playoffs would be now considered a failure for this team?
2: Definitely. Uh, Missing the playoffs would would definitely be a failure. You know, of course, with this team and how it's currently constructed, you always run the risk of injuries. Uh, But the expectations definitely are playoffs. You know, it's so funny across the league. More and more coaches and executives don't want to come out and say playoffs. They just want to say, you know, we just we just want to get better year to year. But that's the expectation with this team. This is a playoff team on paper. Uh, the young talent on this team should be getting better uh, from last year that, to this year. Like This should be a playoff team, and I definitely think it would be a disappointment if they're on the outside looking in. And if this team doesn't make the playoffs, I think you could see major changes just along the coaching staff and whatnot. Th- that's how high expectations are. And I don't think you bring a guy like Paul Millsap in if your expectations aren't going to be playoffs.
1: No, I agree. And I think people don't realize or it's not talked about enough like how close this team was to being a playoff team last year. You know, I mean, they were right. a game away from from grabbing the eighth seed. And I think that really changes the perception of how you view a team. You know, Portland as the eighth seed, I think, is is viewed in a more favorable light than Denver because they've been in the playoffs the last couple of years and, and Denver hasn't. And you'd like to think, you know, obviously, again, there have been changes in the Western Conference, but you bring back mostly the same roster. Yeah, you lose Nurkic, but, but that probably had some some residual benefits, but adding Paul Millsap is worth, you would think one to two wins, those one to two wins that you would need to become a playoff team. So no, I'm with you. I mean, even as someone who's, you know, miles and miles away from Denver, I would, I would consider it a major failure if a roster like this doesn't make the playoffs. Um, Where in your mind do they fit in the hierarchy in the West? I mean, is it fair to say that at this point, especially given what happened over the weekend, that there's now a consensus top four in the Western conference?
2: I think so. I think you've got the Warriors and the Thunder and the Rockets and the Spurs. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't think Denver's too far away from that next tier. I might even put them in that next tier, you know, with the Timberwolves. Um and then, you know, there are a couple other teams that could be in there. I think on paper this team is just as good as as Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't think I'm too close to the situation to say that, but like you, if you think back to last year, like this team threw away like the first third of the season, they were toying with the Jokic and Nurkic thing. They got off to a really bad start, and they had to switch up things drastically. And and luckily, they hit the right note with Jokic. But th- this team was a completely different team after the first two months of last season, uh, and then they worked themselves themselves back into the playoff race. So that's actually going to be a huge key this upcoming season can they get off to a good start and how their schedule sorts itself out they have a pretty forgiving schedule over the first half of the season and in the second half of the season they have some long road trips and it gets difficult so getting off to a crucial start unlike what they did last year at the beginning of the season that's going to go a long way towards determining you know where this team fits in the western conference so these first 15 20 games of the year are really going to be crucial for them
1: yeah, I was going to ask you this later in the rapid fire section, um, but but since you brought it up, who finishes with a better record this year, Minnesota or Denver?
2: Uh, I'll, I'll go with Minnesota, but I do think they're really close. I think Denver probably has a lower floor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I'd say that Minnesota with uh, you know j- just a lot of things that could happen with the roster, uh, but I do think they're pretty similar. You know, Minnesota is certainly predicted to take a huge jump, uh, but they're pretty similar, I think. I mean, I'll just say Minnesota uh, for right now, if you're asking me who's gonna have a better record. But I think it will be close.
1: No, I'm with you. I think it's gonna be really close. I we wrote something for the site a couple weeks ago, you know, predicting the top five teams in each conference, and I I had Denver at five, and it felt it felt strange to throw you know a non a non playoff team last year that high, but the thing with Minnesota is, you know, like you said, I think Minnesota's floor is higher and, and their ceiling is probably higher because you have three all-star caliber guys on that roster compared to probably right. two right now for Denver. Um, but Minnesota was a 31-win team last year. Denver was a 40-win team. You know, like I, even, even if Minnesota is as improved as we think they are, there was still a nine-game gap between those two teams last year, and I, I think that's, that's a lot more to make up than it maybe seems.
2: Sure. It it definitely seems like between those top four teams and then Denver and Minnesota, and I don't know if there's any other teams you would throw into that tier. I mean, maybe the Clippers. The Clippers are another team who has a really high ceiling and a really low floor, in my opinion. Yep. Um, So that that whole kind of tier is, is kind of jumbled right now.
1: Right. No, I would I mean I think those top four that you named are correct. Those are the consensus. And I I think Denver and Minnesota to me might be in their own tier at five and six. And then you have the Clippers and the Jazz are right there, but those are two teams that lost so much and have so many moving pieces that I I, it wouldn't shock me if if neither if you know one or both of those teams just kind of things didn't come together and they won forty games and didn't make it. So yeah, I mean I, I think Denver and Minnesota to me are are knocking on the door uh, behind those top four um so at media day mike malone basically locked in four of his five starters gary harris wilson chandler paul Millsap, and nicole Jokic. but the big question mark as was the case for much of last year and the year before is at point guard have you gotten a sense at all of who has the advantage there i mean how where are they as far as how they're evaluating emmanuel Mudiay?
2: Yeah, they've called it an open competition. That's what Michael Malone's called it, and they really haven't let too much slip. Uh, I think this is Jamal Murray's job to lose. I think the Nuggets want Jamal Murray to be their starter, but at the same time, I don't think they want to give him anything easy. I think they're going to learn from their mistake a couple years ago when they just gave Emmanuel Moutier the starting job Mm -hmm. right out of the gates, right out of his rookie year. I think they're learning from that. They don't want to give Jamal Murray that you know, without really making him work for that, so they're calling it an open competition. I think it's Jamal Murray's job to lose, like I said, and then uh, J- I have Jameer Nelson penciled in as the backup point guard right now. When it comes to Emmanuel Mudiay, honestly, we've heard good things this summer, like we've heard kind of the past two summers. He he looks to be in good shape. He looks thin. Uh, he looks like he's ready to go. Michael Malone went out of his way to praise his energy and. Uh, how vocal he was at practice uh, on Wednesday today and Tuesday night when they scrimmaged. Uh, so thing he, he think he's getting good things said about him. But just looking at the situation, like he's really going to have to be impressive over the course of preseason to really work his way into the rotation. Uh, I think it's going to take an injury or two uh, for him to really see consistent minutes at least to start off the year and then we'll see what happens from there
1: I mean how how did he handle last season going from the starter to you know he's in and out of the lineup basically from you know mid-January on I mean did was it noticeable did his confidence seem to wane at all
2: you know he he's a confident guy but you could tell throughout even his rookie year and throughout last year you know, his confidence kind of gradually dwindled, and then yeah, he was out of the rotation, and we didn't hear much from him at, at the end of last season. But you know, from everything that I've heard this summer, he's in a good place. I mean, he's coming in trying to compete for that, even the you know even the starting job or the backup job. But as it stands right now, I think it would take a lot for him to really jump those two guys just based on what he's shown last season or last for the last two seasons and another thing is kind of like I mentioned earlier like the Nuggets need to get off to a good start this year they can't be tinkering with their rotation they can't give Emmanuel Moody a backup point guard minutes and then you know maybe he loses a couple games for them like they can't afford to have those losses at the beginning of the year so I think it's going to take a lot for him to kind of move into the rotation at all
1: so we're talking about this team as maybe a five or six seed in the western conference um but but other than this point guard situation what is the the biggest weakness facing the nuggets right now or the thing that they need to figure out going into the season if they want to reach their potential
2: well i think we can go back to defense on that like if if they don't move themselves into like a 20th to 25th best defense like i I doubt they make i doubt their uh you know, maybe they could sneak into the eighth seed, but they're not going to really do much damage in the playoffs, which, you know, and I think this team internally believes, you know, they could pull a first round upset if they get to a five or six seed. But the defense has to be better. Like we talked about earlier, they're making adjustments, or at least they're talking about making adjustments about, you know, playing more aggressive in the pick and roll, getting up in passing lanes, forcing more steals. And they have the personnel to do that, I think, outside of Jokic. It's still kind of a mystery about how he's going to adapt to that style, seeing how he's never really played an aggressive style of defense before. But that's the biggest question mark, the defense. Um, there, there are other question marks, especially on the wing. They're not incredibly deep at the three. They have Wilson Chandler and then Juancho Aaron and Gomez, who's kind of more of a natural four, but he's played a lot of three, played three with Eurobasket. Uh, with Spain at Eurobasket this summer, he played three last year, so he, he's not maybe a natural three, but that's where they'll play him this year. So that'd be the other weakness in my mind. But with this team, it's it's really going to come down to defense, I think.
1: Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're planning a day out with friends, searching for a last-minute deal, or buying a gift for a loved one, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. You should as well. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available as well. Best of all, new users get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, Enter the promo code ROTONBA today. That promo code, again, is ROTONBA, R-O-T-O-N-B-A, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. See it live with SeatGeek. Right seat, right now, right from your phone. So this is a young team overall, but let's talk about some of the the youngest guys uh, on the roster. The Nuggets traded the 13th pick of the draft, Uh, ended up getting Trey Lyles from Utah, got the 24th overall pick, uh, in this past draft from Utah that ended up being Tyler Lydon. Do you think they regret that decision at all to trade for Lyles given how Donovan Mitchell, who who ended up going thirteen, has looked so far?
2: Yeah, I'm um, I'm sure they regret it. It was uh it was a puzzling decision on draft night. It was, and, yeah. And and one that still doesn't make too much sense uh, you know, a couple months later now. You know, they made that trade in mind that they want to take a guy who got picked a pick before they did at 23 OG and Anubi, and uh, Toronto swooped him up and then they were uh, kind of forced to take Tyler Lydon. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure they regret that. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's looked great before and the rationale they used was, you know, we didn't want to take another guard because we're deep at guard. And mm-hmm. while that's true, they're also deep at power forward. And in that trade, they acquired Trey Lyles, who they say they really like, and who actually fits kind of well on their second unit if they were to move on from Kenneth Freed. But you know, there's another power forward right there. So yeah, it didn't make a ton of sense on draft night, and and yeah, I'm sure they regret it now. But you know, the good thing is like they're still loaded in the backcourt. Mm. Like I'm not even sure how much Donovan Mitchell would play, uh, to be honest, on this team. So I'm sure they regret it, but you know they they move past it and you know i don't think it's something that's going to affect them a ton uh immediately next season you
1: know, what are they expecting to get out of lyles uh, he was good as a rookie seemed to take a step back last season kind of oddly fell out of favor in utah and and had some kind of odd remarks um i think it was via twitter after the trade that kind of led you to believe that he was happy to be gone uh but what is denver expecting to get out of him you know whether it's anything this year or going forward
2: Well, I think what happened with Lyles just from talking with people in Utah that were around that team was like they got really good last season and they brought in like a Joe Johnson and a Boris DL to play that four position. So Lyles, who had a really good rookie year, was just kind of pushed out of the rotation just because they were a contending team and wanted to play those veterans uh, who were better players. But the Nuggets really like him and the Nuggets like his versatility you know, the Nuggets like how he can shoot it from 3-0. Oh, he can put the ball on the floor. He's a switchable guy on defense. And I think in a perfect world, they wouldn't be too upset about him being their backup four. It's actually kind of a decent fit you know, with Wancho, with Mason Plumley on that second unit. He's a lot better fit than per se a Kenneth Reed. So they're high on him. But as the rotation looks right now, he doesn't really have a place in it. So there's going to have to be a move made here for him to really get some playing time. But, you know, from what I've heard, the front office is high on him.
1: So what are the expectations for Malik Beasley? He's someone who appeared in, I think, about 20-ish games last year, was dealing with a foot injury around the draft, and was kind of somebody that, you know, when Denver took him, you know, there really wasn't much of an expectation that he would make a big impact as a rookie, and ultimately that was the case. Uh, but what are they what are they hoping to get from him in year 2?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure not sure how much of a role there is for him. Uh, last year he spent a ton of time in the D League. I don't think he'll necessarily be down in the D League a bunch this year, but you know, he's behind Gary Harris obviously. He's behind Will Barton obviously at the 2. He's the next guy up there. I think the only situation where he could really get substantial playing time is obviously if injuries hit, but then also if the Nuggets look at their small forward spot and you know they want to play Will Barton there more, maybe that's a way Malik Beasley can get some minutes at the two. But I'm not sure if there's much of a role for him, uh, you know, just from, from from him individually. You know, I'm I'm pretty high on him. He's got a lot of good skills that you look for in backcourt players right now he's got a good shot uh he he showed that off at summer league i thought he played decently at summer league you know, he's a good athlete i think he can be a good defender but but right now it just doesn't really seem like there's a spot for him in the rotation
1: all right last thing before we get to rapid fire uh the nuggets brought in josh childress on a non-guaranteed deal one of those guys that you know people people our age certainly remember uh for all him, right. he will he will always be the cover boy on, I think it was like 2K college hoops. Oh five. Right. Uh, when he was right. at Stanford. Is there any chance he sticks around? And I really, really hope the answer is yes.
2: <laughs> Sorry, man. I don't think he's going to be sticking around. The uh, thing is the Nuggets, Nuggets have 15 guaranteed contracts, right, plus yeah. they're two two way players. <laughs> and that's, that's literally the only people they have at camp. They have those 17 guys and Josh Childress. So I, I think this is just a straight camp invite. Hopefully he can get a uh, lash on with another team or uh, maybe a good team in Europe next season. But I don't think you'll be seeing him uh, with Denver next yeah. season,
1: unfortunately. That's so that's so disappointing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> ideally, maybe Fareed forces his way out of here in the next two weeks, and you know they trade him for a, a late first, and they they have that extra roster spot. I mean, more importantly, when it comes to Childress, does he still have the hair?
2: Oh, he's got the hair. I think the hair is crazier now, really, than it even was at uh, at Stanford and when he was in the league earlier.
1: Huh. I mean, at Stanford, it was always it was always like a very like meticulously like suspiciously well kept afro. You know, like perfectly, right, right, perfectly cylindrical. Is that no longer the case?
2: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of got a little uh, little wild. I'll say.
1: Oh no, I mean, are we talking it, it, like Michael Beasley, Timberwolves? No, Timberwolves? it's just it, it's just. It's just a little overgrown, I'd say. Just a little overgrown. Sure. Okay, I'll I'll have to look into that. Okay, let's get to a couple rapid-fire questions before I let you go. Who finishes second in the Western Conference?
2: Oh, the Thunder. I think it's the Thunder. I'm really high on this team. Um, Carmelo Anthony is one of my favorite players. Not just because he was in Denver just... That's a guy I love watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really high on the Thunder. I think they're so versatile. They can play so many different lineups. Uh, if they can get like you know, 65 games out of Patrick Patterson, I think he's going to be a real key to what they do, especially on defense. Um, really high on the Thunder. I think they're the second best team in the West. I thought they might be the second best team in the West even without Carmel and Anthony. So, yeah, safe to say I'm pretty high on them.
1: Okay, no, I I have them three. Um, I think Houston, two, although those those to me are interchangeable. And I could so easily see San Antonio somehow getting the two seed and and making everybody look foolish yet again. Um, Who is your MVP this year?
2: My MVP, I'm going to go with Kevin Durant. I think he probably would have won the – or he probably would have been, what, second in MVP voting last year if he was healthy the entire season?
1: I think he would have been third – yeah, I mean, it's just because the the going to the Warriors narrative, I think would have hurt him, but numbers wise, he would have had a case to win it easily.
2: Right. I just think he's gonna be he's gonna be just as efficient as last year, if not mm. more efficient. You know, odds are he's gonna be healthy for the entire season. I think it's setting up to be his MVP. Or there's a guy in the Eastern Conference named LeBron James yep. who's probably got some motivation this year.
1: Yep. I think it's one of those two. Like everyone else besides those two, and maybe Kawhi has something working against them. I mean, Westbrook is going to have to top what he did last year, which is just not going to happen. So you can I think you can cross him off. And right. The same goes for Harden. You know, Harden's right. not going to Harden's Harden's opportunity to win an MVP was last year and unfortunately for him, Westbrook had, you know, the craziest individual season of all time. And then, you know, once you get beyond those three guys, you get to LeBron and Durant and it's like unless both both of those guys get hurt I don't really see anyone else who has a legitimate chance. I mean, that maybe if the Wizards somehow win 63 games and, and John wall has a crazy year, but, but even then, I mean, I think the warriors are a near lock if they stay healthy to get to 70 wins. And when you're theoretically crossing off Harden and Westbrook and the Cavs probably aren't trying all that hard. I'm with you. I think it, it could kind of be a best player on the best team type of year for the MVP.
2: Right. Yeah, I agree. I've got, Durant LeBron Kawhi those are my top Mm -hmm. three right now
1: who's the Nuggets player that you most enjoy chatting with or who you've gotten to know the best over the last couple of years
2: the Nuggets player I most enjoy chatting with I'm gonna go Will Barton Will Barton is just a real down-to-earth guy who's totally down to talk about whatever on or off the record just I mean these aren't regular dudes they're making multi-million dollars but will barton is just about as regular of a dude that you could find that's you know making three and a half million bucks a year like he's he's just down to talk about whatever he keeps it real um you know no bullshit with him my answer would be will barton all
1: right i'm glad to hear that i've always liked will barton that's that's great to hear uh two more other than the nuggets uh who are going to be your league pass teams this year
2: other than the Nuggets who are going to be my league past teams this year. I'll start with Philly. Philly's probably high on everybody's yep. list. But, I mean, just up and down that roster, you know. I love pretty much everybody on that team. Uh, so, they'll be one. And then it's going to be a bunch of teams in the Western Conference this year. Minnesota, uh, the Thunder, the Rockets. I just can't wait to watch. Uh, all these teams play, so uh, I'll say Philly, and then uh, and then the Thunder might be my number two. All
1: right, fair enough. All right, last one: uh, favorite places to eat or drink in Denver. I'm actually going to Denver for a long weekend in, in a couple weeks, so I'm just going to shamelessly use this opportunity uh, to pick your brain for a couple suggestions.
2: Okay, um, a couple Mexican spots. Uh, if you like tacos, we got good tacos here in Denver. Don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. <laughs> but um, El Chingones is a great taco spot. Machete is a great taco spot. Both downtown, both easy to get to. Good good environment, good ambiance, good food, good drinks. Um, th- those are my two suggestions for you.
1: Okay. And I'm a Wisconsin alum uh, in the interest of full disclosure. I've been told that there's actually a Badger's bar operating downtown do you know anything about this
2: you know there is not sure which bar it is exactly but denver is such like a melting pot for like people from all over the country there's so many people from chicago here so many people from the east coast like there's a huge michigan state bar there's a huge michigan bar there's a huge uh, like Literally every Midwest school you could think of, there's a bar for that. So I'm, I'm, I definitely think there's a Wisconsin okay. bar out here. Can't think of it offhand, but I've seen, I've seen and heard about it before.
1: All right, I'll have to do some more research. All right, well that's all I have for you, man. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you've written or are going to be writing?
2: Um, right now on, uh, right now on BSN Denver it came out today. I got a piece together on how Paul Millsap can kind of be this team's closer on the offensive end on of the floor. The Nuggets were the worst team last year in the clutch and what NBA.com defines as the clutch. They shot the worst field goal percentage in the league last year. They were just awful at the end of the games. They were something like 3-10 in games decided by 5 points or less. Uh, so Paul Millsap can kind of fill that role uh, for the Nuggets this year. So I've got an article up right now on that.
1: All right, definitely go read Harrison's work on BSN Denver uh, and be sure to give him a follow on Twitter as well. Harrison, really, really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Yeah, of course, Nick, no problem.